All right, if you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 12, please. Genesis chapter 12. We left off with Abram and Sariah getting called out from the land that they were from, specifically Abram, to go to a land that God would show them. Let's go ahead and look here in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So Abram, just to remind you all, he was from Ur, and God called him out of Ur to go to a land that God would show him. We learn later in the text the land is here in Canaan, which today is Israel. Okay, So uh, that's what God told him to do. In fact, uh, Chris was watching a documentary, archaeological documentary about the ancient city of Ur this week. And uh, someone said recently you can take a stone, throw it in any direction there in, in the land of Canaan, and, and you'll dig a little bit and you'll find some Jewish archaeology there uh, testifying to uh, the descendants of Abraham being there. But we'll learn more about that later, but it's very fascinating. Uh, so let's look in verse 2 and remind ourselves what God promised Abram, the reason he was leaving Ur to go to Canaan. God said in verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee, in you, Abram, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. All the families. Black people, white people, brown people, Asian people. Uh, Arab people, all families of the earth would be blessed through this man, Abram. And what he's saying is, is that through Abram, the promised Savior that God promised back in the Garden of Eden, who would crush the head of the serpent and deliver man from sin and death, would come. He's going to descend from Abram. In you, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Not cursed, like we were in Adam. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. That's what he told Adam. Blessed are all the families of the earth for your sake, Abram. And so um, let's go ahead and look here in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, meaning he left Ur to travel to this area right here, the land of Canaan at the time. If you'll look here uh, in verse 4, it says, And Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. <clears throat> all right, so here they are. They are now in the land of Canaan. You see Canaan right there, all right? And uh, they have people, they have servants, they have much substance, cattle, uh, wealth, uh, they're very wealthy people, and they come and they start dwelling here in the land of Canaan. Now, at the time, the reason it was called the land of Canaan is because Canaanites lived there, all right, and so did a lot of other people groups. 
Uh, if you'll look here in verse 6, And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori. And the Canaanite was then in the land. All right? So this was not an unoccupied territory. It's not like he just came to open pasture and said, Oh, all right, God's going to give this to me as my home. No. It was filled with Canaanites. It was filled with other people. Look now in verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed, that means unto your offspring, will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Now we need to pause right here. There's a lot that needs to be discussed. All right. So he tells Abram, I'm going to give to, to you and to your offspring, I will give this land of Canaan. Now, there's, there's a problem with that, and we're going to learn as we go. Abram's about 75 years old at this time. He has no children. No children. All right? So how can you have offspring with no children? Well, you can't. And he's an old man on top of that. So the time for him having children, naturally, at least at this time, is over. The other problem is, how's he going to give him the land, not only with no children, but with it being occupied by all these other people? So uh, in order for them to possess the land, the land's going to first have to be dispossessed of those people. In order to do that, he's got to first have children. So the whole thing seems uh, bizarre, I'm sure, for God to tell him this. Certainly not humanly possible, okay? But God made a big promise, and he made sure that Abram was too old and his wife was too old to have children before he promised them children. He made sure the land was occupied with people who were stronger and mightier than him before he promised to give it to him. He made sure that uh, um, that uh, all the odds were against Abram and that it was impossible for that promise to be fulfilled by Abram himself. Does that make sense? He can't have children on his own. He can't dispossess the population on his own. This had to be a promise that only God could fulfill, a work that only he could do. God is always in the business of making promises like that. Okay? Just like he made back in the Garden of Eden when he promised to send someone to crush the head of the serpent and deliver man. All right, let's go ahead and look here now. And uh, in verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Notice that with the promise, there came an offering. All right? The first offering we saw was when God sacrificed those innocent animals instead of Adam and Eve and covered them with those innocent animal skins. The next offerings we saw were the false offering of Cain, who just gave him fruit of the ground, and the true offering of Abel, who offered a sacrifice like God had made for his parents. And that sacrifice was tied to the promise God made. And God accepted Abel on the basis of that sacrifice that that Abel offered. Now we see God making a promise that the Savior is going to come through him and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through him. And along with that promise, Abram also makes an offering. He builds an altar. 
it is impossible for the promise to be fulfilled apart from a sacrifice being made. Do you see the connection here? The promise is made, the offering is given. They are two inseparable uh, 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 qualities that pertain to the fulfillment of this promise. It is impossible for God to fulfill His promise to man to bless him, to let him inherit the earth, uh, apart from a sacrifice being made. Let's go ahead and look here now in verse 8. And he that is Abram removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of his God. So we see him moving to another location. What he's doing, um, he is uh, sojourning in this land. He's not coming in and building a house. He's living in tents. And he's moving from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. He owns no land there. He's just a traveler. He's just a sojourner. He owns no home there. He, he has no land to call his own there. But everywhere he goes, he builds an altar and he calls on the name of his God. Let's talk about what that means, to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the first time we see it here in the Old Testament. It's misunderstood in the New Testament. Some people say to call upon the name of the Lord means say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And that's not what it means. That's not what Abram's doing here. What he's doing here is he builds an altar. Sacrifice is made. And he calls upon the name of his God, meaning he puts his faith and trust in his God. Based on the promise God made, illustrated in the offering Abraham gave. Does that make sense? Same thing Abel was doing. So he's calling on the name of his God. Lord, here I am in this land, and I'm going to trust you to give it to me. I'm going to trust you to uh, give it to my descendants. I'm going to trust you to give me children, just like you said, and that you're going to bless the world through my offspring. I'm trusting you for that, God. And I'm making this offering here as the, the basis of my trust, and I'm depending on you. <clears throat> so all of this, his faith connected to the God's promise illustrated by the offering made. Does everyone understand so far? All right, now let's go ahead and look. Move to chapter 13. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent, notice he's still living in a tent, where his tent um, had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So here Abram is calling on the name of the Lord again. He's, he's journeying. He went down to Egypt for a bit because of a famine. He comes back uh, when the famine's over. And he comes back to Bethel, goes back to that same altar he made, makes a sacrifice to God and calls on His name again. 
Now again, when people say in the New Testament, we'll call the name of the Lord means to ask Jesus to come into your heart, they're mistaken. Uh, they say, well, if you, if you ask Jesus in your heart, you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And so they say, just call out to him today and ask him to come in your heart and save you. Well, that's not what Abram's doing. He's not building an altar and ask Jesus to come in his heart and save him and then make a cycle along through there and say, well, maybe I'm not saved. I'll ask Jesus to come to my heart and save me again. He keeps calling on the name of the Lord again and again and again. Why? Because he's reiterating his faith and his trust in God's promise that he gave, illustrated by the sacrifice that he makes. Calling on the name of the Lord is to put your trust and hope in God. That's what it means, okay? To put your trust and hope in God. You're looking at a, uh, a verb, call, which means to invoke. And you're looking at a preposition. Anyone know grammar well enough to tell me what the preposition is? Preposition is on. Who, what's the object, what's the object of the preposition? What's the object? Yes. Look here, look back in your text. Called on the name of the Lord. He's calling on, call is the verb, that's the action he's doing. On is where the action is going. He's calling on the Lord's name. Doesn't even say he called on the Lord. It says he called on the Lord's name. How can you call on the Lord's name and not call on the Lord? What does it mean to call on the Lord's name? Anyone have an idea? Let's think it through. When you're looking in the Bible and it says to call on the name of the Lord, or when it says to trust in the name of the Lord, or anything like that, the name of the Lord means the authority of the Lord, the, the, the basis of the Lord Himself. Let me give you an example. How many of y'all have ever saw an old movie where there is a policeman and someone is running away from the policeman and the policeman says, stop in the name of the law. Y'all ever seen and heard anything like that? Have you? Okay. To stop in the name of the law means stop on the basis, the authority of the law. When I was in law enforcement, uh, and I would write a complaint out against someone, it would always say, in the name of the state of Texas. It would say that on the complaint or on a warrant. It always listed the name of the state of Texas. And the reason it did is because I don't have any authority to go put my hands on someone and put them in a cage, but the state of Texas does. So everything that I did was done in the state's name. Abraham, his faith was based on God's name. See what he's doing here? His faith was based on the authority of the promise God gave him. Isn't that wonderful? That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. 
to put your faith, your dependence on the authority of the promise God's made you. Illustrated by the sacrifice he's making. So understand that. Abram was sojourning here. Must have looked crazy. What are you doing here, Abram? Well, God's going to make a great nation out of me. I'm going to have so many children. It's going to be unbelievable. And one day I'm going to own all this, and all my offspring is going to own all this. And all the people of the land, look at this old man over there with no child, and probably thinking he's crazy. The only way that Abram could keep his sanity... Because leaving your house is a big deal. Leaving your town where you have all your connections, your business dealings, your little security network, that's a big deal. And to go to a land of strangers and say, well, God's going to give me and my offspring this land one day, even though I have no offspring, there's no way I can dispossess these people of this land, that's a big deal. And the only way the man could keep his sanity and keep living there was if he kept reminding himself that he's putting his trust on the authority of the promise God had made him. No matter what the circumstances looked like, no matter how he felt on the inside, no matter what the strangers in the land told him, he was depending on his God. Now here's the thing. The, how this applies to us is this. We have to understand that Abram is a picture of everybody. He's called the father of our faith in the New Testament. Abram is a picture of everybody who puts their trust in the promise God made to send his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Think about it. Abraham was dwelling in what? A brick house? An adobe house? He was dwelling in what? A tent. What do we know about a tent? It's a tent of permanent structure or a temporary structure? It's a temporary structure. Is a tent a mobile structure or a fixed structure? It's a mobile structure. He, that's why he keeps moving from place to place to place. He has these tents here. This is a picture of us. Those of us who live in a strange world. Who live in a world that does not belong to us that belongs to God's enemies, in a sense. They're occupying it. And here we are walking around in tents, our bodies. We're, we're, we're souls that are living in these mobile, temporary structures that get more and more frazzled every day we live. And we're finally, uh, as the Apostle Peter said, he said in one of his passages, I'm going to have to put this tent off of me and go to be with the Lord. In other words, I got to, you know, he, he realized he is dwelling in tents. That's what I am right now. I'm a man who's dwelling in a land occupied by people who don't believe in God, don't believe in his son, want nothing to do with him. But God's promised, as Jesus said, the meek shall inherit what? You remember that scripture? The meek shall inherit the earth. And so God has given us a promise that we're going to enjoy the earth one day forever. And the, the people who don't believe in God are going to be put out of it. The people who do are going to possess it. But meanwhile, we're living as strangers in the world, in tents, 
And one day we're going to put that tent off and we're going to die. But in the meantime, how do we keep our sanity living in a crazy world? We do it putting our trust on the name, on the authority of the promise that God's given us. Make sense? That's what Abram's doing. If you'll understand this here in the Old Testament, as we get into the New Testament, and especially in the book of Galatians and Hebrews, it'll, it'll, it'll just become so much more clear to you. All right, now let's look here in uh, uh, verse uh, 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. And Lot also, which went, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land." Now, here they were. Uh, now, Lot, uh, Abram, was told to leave his father's house. But here's Lot still hanging around Abram. Uh, Lot, Abram should have been separated from Lot. Lot still tagging around his uncle. But they both have so much substance and so much land. I'm sorry, and so many cattle and only so much land, so, so that now there's grazing rights, struggling between the herdmen and all, and uh, and there's Canaanites and there's Perizzites around them, and the last thing you want to do is be fighting among yourselves when you're dwelling in places that may be a little hostile to you. So let's go ahead and look in verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. In other words, hey, there's plenty of room. Lot, leave. <laughs> you know, leave. <laughs> if thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. In other words, you take your pick, Lot. You go wherever you want to go. I'll let you choose, and I'll just go the other way. Now, that's a fair man right there. Verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. So here's Lot. Lot says, Oh, I can choose any place I want to. Where should I go? Uncle Abraham said, I could get first choice. Lot starts looking around and boy, he sees uh, the plain of Jordan. He's got cattle, and there's plenty of water for his cattle and plenty of sweet grass for his cattle. And verse uh, 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and there, I'm sorry, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Verse 12, And as say, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Lot was all about comfort, creature comforts, riches, community. He pitches his tent near a city called Sodom. Verse um, for 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Lot made a bad choice. He made a business decision that he thought would help his business without considering the company he was going to be putting his family and himself around. 
He's living over here with a bunch of uh, uh, reprobate, wicked people. And next thing you know, he ends up living among them. Uh, Very, very sad. Uh, Who you hang out with makes a big deal on your life. All right, let's look here in verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. This is very important. Lot's gone. Lot's living over here around Sodom. And now that Lot's gone, God takes Abraham aside and gives him more specificity on this promise he made. He said, Abram, you look north, south, east, and west as far as your eye can see. I'm going to give that land to whom? What does the Scripture say? Who's God going to give the land to? To him? Excuse me? And his descendants. So right? To thee? That's to Abram. To your seed, that's his descendants. Now, how long is he going to give them this land? Wow. Let's do this. Forever's a long time. The only way that God can give this land to Abraham and his descendants forever is if what happens? That's true. Specifically, the only way he can give it to him for this length of time, what has to happen? They have to keep like, reproducing and keep going. Let's do this. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, but okay, we're we're getting watch this. What? Let me let me narrow the question down. Look at this. For a moment, forget about the descendants. Think about the promise that God's going to give him, Abram, the land. How can God give Abram the land forever? What's going to have to happen for Abram to have this land forever? You stop. That's true. Think, think practically. What's, let, let's say that Abraham's given the land today, or, or, or at that time. Let's say he just gave him the land. For Abraham to have that land forever, how long is Abraham going to live? That's the only way he can have it forever. Is if Abraham lives forever. That's what you were going to say, isn't it? I figured it was. So for God to give this land to Abram, now if God just said, I'm just going to give it to your descendants, then we may be thinking, well, they'll just possess the land as the generations continue to go. But for God to give it to Abraham forever, Abraham's going to have to live forever, which means death will have to be overcome. This is all wrapped up in the promise that God is giving. 
Every one of his descendants, if they're going to possess the land forever, they have to live forever. In other words, they'll have to not perish, but have everlasting life. Does that make sense? All right? That's all wrapped up in this promise. God is making a promise to Abram that he's going to be able to live forever in a particular part of the world and and inherit something for an everlasting possession. And it's going to be on the basis of his offspring. The Savior is going to be born from him. And he doesn't even have a child. These are incredible promises God's making. You're going to have children, lots of children. You're going to have this land. You're going to have it forever, which means death is going to have to be overcome. When we continue reading this story of Abram, you're going to find out something. In fact, let's look here and I'll show you what it is. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. This is fascinating. Let's look here now um, in verse 16. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. In other words, you have a bunch of offspring. Verse 17. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. I'm going to give it to you, Abraham. You personally. You individually. Verse 18, Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the land, in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Here he goes again. Everywhere I go, I'm depending on the promise you made me, God. Illustrated by the sacrifice I make. Alright, now... Let's move on. In chat, when you come to chapter fourteen, um, I, I want to try to get to a certain spot here before we close today. When you come to chapter fourteen, Lot has been living in the land of Sodom. The Bible says the people of Sodom were wicked exceedingly before God. Sodom is where we get the word sodomy from. Okay, these were homosexuals. These were people like the people we have today, okay? I mean, if they had drag queen story hour started right here in sodomy, okay? In sodomy, excuse me. They were sodomites. The people that we have today that do this are also sodomites. They practice sodomy. All of that came from this ancient city. That's where the words came from. And so they were wicked people. And... uh, um, Basically, what happens is, I'm just going to give you a a quick rundown. Uh, We'll look more at it later. But Lot and the people of Sodom get captured by enemy forces. Abraham, Abram has to, his name gets changed to Abraham later. That's how come I keep saying Abram. But Abram goes and rescues Lot and those people uh, and, uh, and all. So there was some drama there in chapter 14, but we don't need to focus on that because it interrupts our, our our continuation of the story we're trying to make. So now Abram's rescued Lot. Lot's still in Sodom. He still didn't learn his lesson. Chapter 15. After these things, it is after Abram rescued Lot, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, What wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
in the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Now, what is he saying? God kept saying, To thee will I give this land and to thy seed forever. And Abram's saying, God, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm not getting any younger. What are you going to do? You tell me you're going to give me seed like the dust of the earth, but you're still giving me no seed. I have no child at all. What are you going to do? How is this promise going to be performed? A lot of times we do God like that, you know. We don't understand His full plan. And it's an honest question Abram was asking. And even though Abram didn't understand everything, and even though Abram, I'm sure, had lots of doubts come in his head from the devil saying, oh yeah, here's God's going to promise this. You're going to end up dying here with no kids. Abraham still, everywhere he went, he built an altar and he trusted in God. God, I don't understand but I trust you. And you know, sometimes it's all we can do. God, I don't understand the situation I'm in, but I trust you nonetheless. So let's look and see how God responded to him. Uh, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. In other words, this your, your steward, Eliezer, he's not going to inherit uh, your goods. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. In other words, you're going to have a son physically, your own offspring, your own DNA. Someone coming forth from your own bowels shall be your heir. Look in verse 5. And he that is God brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. And the word tell there is an ancient word that means count. Okay? Uh, used to in the old English when you said when you use the word tell it would mean to count or to reckon. And he says he so he's saying count the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him so shall thy seed be. He said Abram can you count those stars? Man there's so many I can't count them. That's how many kids you're going to have. You won't even be able to number them. There's going to be so many. It's amazing. Now little side note. Little side note. A few books down, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you come to a book called Numbers. In the book of Numbers, they actually did number all of Abram's offspring at that time. But you can't truly number all of Abram's offspring because God told Abram, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. The reason is the true children of Abram are not going to be those that come from his DNA, but those that share his faith in God and the sacrifice which already erased that he would make. Not those who share his DNA, but those who share his faith. The Bible says in the New Testament, they which be of faith are the seed of Abraham. But let's look here and see. Man, this is a big promise again. This is, I mean, you're not going to be able to count all your children, Abraham. You're going to have so many. So let's look here in verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's big. God made this big, big promise to Abram. You're going to get the land forever, which means I'm going to overcome death. You're going to live forever. You will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. I'm going to give it to your seed forever. 
And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Those who descend from you will also not perish, but have everlasting life. And the, the, the curse that came through Adam will be overcome and the blessing will come through you. And Abram believed in the Lord. That means he put his trust. Let's do this again. What was the action? Believe. Believe means to trust. To rely on. Sometimes if we have a favorite uh, football team or something, uh, or uh, and, and we say, hey, we believe in you. You can do this, alright? That's what it means. He believed in the Lord. That means he trusted. What's the preposition? In. He put his trust in. In what? The Lord. He believed the promise that God made. And what happens when he believed the promise that God made? In verse um, 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he, that is the Lord, counted it or credited it to him for righteousness. Abram was righteous in God's sight, sinless in God's sight, because he trusted the promise God made. Grace. Grace. That's it. Just like Noah. Noah put his faith in the ark. The promise God made that He would deliver him through the ark. Noah was found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Abraham put his trust in the promise that God would deliver the world through the Savior that would descend from him. And he was found righteous in God's sight. He believed in the Lord. That's why when you look at John 3.16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, they inherit the promise of Abraham. And that's good stuff. It all boils down to us recognizing, like Abram, I can't have any kids. I can't fulfill this promise. I can't overcome death. But I'm going to believe in the Lord who promised that He would make that happen for me. Today it's the same thing. I can't keep make myself good enough to be accepted by God. I can't overcome death. I can't make myself right in the eyes of God. But I believe in the Lord who made a way so I could. Which was the sacrifice He made. Just like Abram kept offering every time he called on the name of the Lord. It's all connected. I trust in God that I will not perish but have everlasting life based on the sacrifice God has made for me. They were looking forward to the sacrifice. Today we look back to the sacrifice. They trusted it would happen. Today we trust that it did happen. You see the difference? Okay. With that said, that's probably a good... Man, I'd love to keep going. That's a good place for us to stop. We've got about a quarter till. Next week, God willing, we'll start back up and Abram is going to ask God to give him some kind of sign, some kind of illustration, some kind of confirmation on how God was going to go about doing this. And we'll take back up in chapter 15 and look at that next week. Very bizarre passage of Scripture, but it's really cool. All right.